0: Hi,
1: welcome to Back to Excited, episode 34, the Austin Matthews episode of Back to Excited. We'll try and score 10 goals today, whatever the podcast equivalent of, of goals are. But, um, Fuleman, how are you doing? Can you rescue me from this tortured metaphor?
2: <laughs> I can't, but I think it does mean that we have to make fun of Rasmus Ristelainen at some point, just to kind of stay on brand. <laughs> that counts as a goal by our standards.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, how have you been doing, Fuleman?
2: I have been doing well. How about you?
1: Uh yeah, I can't complain. The Leafs are playing well, which is always, uh, always nice to see. The Leafs are five and one after a four and zero road trip, and we have a lot to discuss today. Mm. Um, even though you know we're really early in the season, there's always fun things to talk about for the Leafs. And the first thing we are going to talk about is Austin Matthews, and more specifically his fi- his line and his line mates at five on five. So to start the year, um, obviously in the absence of William Nylander the Leafs decided to go with Patrick Marleau and Tyler Ennis flanking Matthews. And Ennis was kind of a pretty obvious stand-in for Neenander. Uh And he had a relatively solid preseason, I think, by most accounts. But that line really did not seem to work too well at 5-on-5, five five, right? Uh, there were, d- despite Matthews' individual point-scoring heroics, that line was actually getting outscored and outshot-attempted and outchanced to a pretty um, crazy degree, were they not?
2: Yeah, at five on five, that line just did not work, um, which is kind of crazy to think about because everything was sort of covered up by the fact that Matthews was scoring like a billion points per game. But they were really struggling. They were getting pinned in their own zone, and it was showing up in pretty much any metric you choose to name. So Yes,
1: yes. Uh, they, uh, I can actually pull it up right now. In terms of shot attempts, they... Controlled 38.73% of the shot attempts when they were on the uh, ice together, which is not good. Now, no. <laughs> we're going to talk probably a lot about kind of how certain pairings and groups have done uh, in terms of shot attempts this episode. We're looking at like 30 to 40 minute samples, right? So everything we say here is purely descriptive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're not saying, oh, they will continue to do this in the future necessarily, unless we explicitly do say that. Yeah. But <laughs> in general, we're talking about. How things have looked, not necessarily how they're going to look in the future.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: so yeah, 38% of the shot attempts, that is not good. Their goals for ratio wasn't very good either. That line really, really kind of struggled to start the year.
2: Yeah, and uh, Mike Babcock saw as much. And when things seemed to like they were going south in the game against the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, Mike Babcock kind of famously flipped out Tyler Ennis, poor Casper Capitan and... Very quickly, things seem to turn around for that line. Uh, yes. As restructured.
1: So, yeah, in the, in the time since, so they've played about 50 minutes together. They have a shot share ratio of 56%, which is very, very good. They have uh, uh, similarly good goals for percentage. And, I mean, more than that, they, they look like they make sense as a line now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Ennis, I think, is a feisty guy. He's not bad in the offensive zone. Uh, he's. A, a, a smart player he, he understands where to be but he is not tremendously gifted as a puck carrier and neither is marlow marlow is kind of what everyone pretends jvr was last year <laughs> right everyone's like oh jvr doesn't do anything except you know get on the end of things in the offensive zone and you know have has some finishing talent which is not true considering that jvr you know drove possession last year to a pretty impressive degree um and it's not like JVR is a major puck carrier either, but he, he did more outside of scoring than than Marlo does right now. Marlow has really been kind of invisible to my eye. And when it was Marlow, Matthews, and Ennis, really the burden was so heavily on Matthews to create everything. Mm-hmm. With Kapanen in there, uh, he's provided another outlet. His speed is incredibly, it is incredibly kind of sh- uh, shift bending, right? Like yeah, teams have to respect him so much, so they just give him some room. And suddenly you get in the zone. And once you get in the zone, Matthews is a genius. Marlowe is still very good. And that line can start to flourish, right? Uh, so it, it, it was kind of good to see. I think a lot of us identified almost immediately after watching um, Matthews, Marlowe, Ennis, that, okay, this line needs someone else to move the puck. And in theory, that's something that William Nylander would excel in, perhaps even, and I would say likely even, to a degree higher than what we've seen from Kapanen, right? Because Nylander is a better player. Yeah, But Kapanen has... Um, really, really reinvigorated that line to an impressive degree so far.
2: Yeah, and it does raise the question of when William Nylander comes back, which we're still thinking he's going to. I feel like I'm going to be saying this like three weeks into November. I'm like, he's totally going to sign any minute now. But um, (laughs) I do think that William Nylander will come back. But it raises the question of, okay, is it time to put him on the cadre line to kind of give that line a shot in the arm? And I had the feeling that that line wasn't doing all that well. But actually, since Par Lindholm got moved up to left wing in kind of a surprising move, uh, along with Kadri and Connor Brown, their stats have been pretty good together, too.
1: Yeah, uh, in, the, in the few games that we've seen them there, they have a 56% Corsi as well, which is... Uh, Just dandy. Surprising. Uh- yeah, it's surprising. And it's also... Um, they're not just taking like a bunch of point shots, right? uh they're actually kind of getting into decent positions, which is very, very surprising to me mm-hmm. um it's not a line I would have thought could do that <laughs> to be totally honest
2: I think we were all still a little vague on what to expect out of Parlantome, but he he's been a bit more memorable lately. I think it was easy for him to kind of fade into the background, but i've actually i've liked him the last couple nights so.
1: Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, the other thing is, with uh, I mean, and here, like, we don't want to get carried away with that group, mm-hmm. but the other possibility is, um, if you think that group might actually have some staying power, do you move Marlow down and put one of Nylander or Kapanen on their offside and play both with Matthews? That is a line that has three puck-carrying threats, a lot of speed, and quite a lot of finishing talent as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense, you could think of, you know, in what would make Mike Babcock very happy, you could think of Kapanen as a Hyman clone, just faster, and not as good on the boards, but you know, there's trade-offs there.
2: Yeah, I mean, conceivably, that could be a really deadly line if everything worked according to plan.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: it's a question of who you want to play on their offside between Nylander and Kapanen, and yeah. I would actually expect that it would be more likely Kapanen who moved to the left if they were to do that. But it would, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot of fun. I mean, any way you slice it. Uh, the advent of Kasperi Kapanen really coming into his own gives us more options. It uh, will eventually give us salary headaches, but that's a problem for future Kyle Dubas. Um, it, It is really exciting to see. And also because as much as Austin Matthews absolutely torching the NHL has been fun, like the guy is shooting like 50%. You know, there have been times where it's felt like he could keep doing it, but he's not going to. So seeing that line look a little bit more sustainable in terms of winning the shots battle, winning the chances battle is more encouraging for the type of year he's going to have once the kind of fever dream of this first couple weeks breaks.
1: Yeah. Like I think uh, yesterday against the Capitals, Matthews scored one goal on three shot attempts and that lowered his shooting percentage. (laughs)
2: Like... Okay, <laughs> that's kind of crazy to think about.
1: Yeah, it's, it's absolutely bizarre, right? Um, Kaplan's emergence, if we can con- continue to count on it, and again, I'm stressing this heavily because it is such a small sample, mm-hmm. right? Like, you could, if you replaced one good game with a bad game, you would, you would get, like, entirely different con- conclusions. Exactly. So you don't want to project too much. But every- everything you're saying, if you remove the stats and just talk about how they've looked, they've looked much better. Right? Yeah. And it, I think there's a very obvious relationship there between the line switch up and how they have looked in terms of their danger. Right? Yeah. So broadly speaking, I, th- I think it's a good sign. I'm not as worried about that line as I was early on. And I, I'm not... Uh, actually, well, so one of the questions I had coming into the season that was kind of necessitated, not necessitated, but uh, Nylander's absence kind of brought this up to me is how does Matthews look away from Nylander? Right. So we've seen it before in previous years where we saw the Hyman and Matthews Brown unit and that unit never really did phenomenally. And that's sort of understandable because, once again, all the creative burden is placed on Matthews.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and over the first three games, we saw, OK, with Ennis, the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's again, you never want to overreact, but there was some sort of semblance of a argument that saying, hey, we should like kind of monitor this to see is Neander having a bigger effect than we thought? And based on what we've seen out of the results with Kapanen, it's Neander is having an effect, but more generally, it's just that line, and Matthews needs someone there who can bear a bit more of the creative burden so he doesn't have to do everything. Yeah. And if he has a player who's able to do that, then they're most likely going to be able to succeed, and that doesn't necessarily have to be Neander, right? So does that change at all how you see... Um, Neilander's value to the team and his level of play if he can sort of be replaced by someone at captain I've i I've seen a lot of discussion about this sort of thing, mm-hmm. where players where, where fans are like, hey, see this this shows we don't need Nylander He's he has no leverage, yada yada yada. He's replaceable. Do you think this moves the needle either way for you on that sort
2: of discussion? It's too early, is the biggest thing that I would say. Uh just mm-hmm. uh, in, in this small sample. I know William Neilander is a very good player. Like, I think that that's Mm well-established. And I think part of what we're seeing is Austin Matthews is reaching a level of offensive brilliance now, even independent of, like, he's running very hot. I think he's establishing himself as such an offensive zone threat that even moderately talented... I mean, moderately talented is kind of an ungenerous description for a guy like Gapanen, who's a faster hockey player than, like, 99.999% 99.999% of the planet, but mm-hmm. guys who are not necessarily stars in their own right, um, Austin Matthews can elevate them if you give him even a little bit to work with. And we've seen Connor McDavid do a similar thing in Edmonton where he takes guys who are not exactly uh, stars in their own right, but who have...
1: You, you, don't, have, you don't have to be that polite to Ty Raddy.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, honestly, Ty Ratty, I'm not even sure, is on a level where he can do that. But Pat Maroon, for example, who was you know, a retained salary trade and kind of not doing much, pushed 30 goals on Conor McDavid's wing because he had the right skill set to integrate there. I think Kapanen has a really good fit with Austin Matthews, and I expect to see more of that going forward. I still want William Nylander back, but actually just before we went to record this, a rumor started leaking out that allegedly William Nylander is thinking of uh, playing with a KHL team for a year. I don't believe that he's going to do that, mm-hmm. and no one is confirming the rumor, but it's just leaking out. I think, gosh, doesn't that sound a little bit like someone who whose agent doesn't necessarily feel like their leverage is going the best, and who is watching this team go to five and one without him, and is caught in an apparently stagnant negotiation where no one's moving. So I almost wonder if that's, like, kind of a desperation ploy. Like, he could conceivably do it, but I would doubt it. Yeah, um,
1: it's, th- it seems really, really unlikely to me.
2: This is threatened much more often than it ever happens. I mean, I can't... Maybe someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of a Russian player. Uh, of a non-Russian player, sorry, who has elected the KHL over the NHL. Um, when they could have made substantial money in the NHL like Neilander can. So I'm not so worried about that. Yeah. But I do think that the emergence of Cabin in there is starting to make it a question now in terms of like, okay, we have two really, really brilliant centers here. We can produce a top maybe five, certainly top 10 offense without William Nylander. So there's not a lot of pressure on us to sign him immediately. But mm-hmm. I still want him.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, he, here's the thing. Um, with Matthews, Matthews is, I guess, hopefully showing that he doesn't need a star like Nienender. He just needs, as you said, someone with a few offensive gifts that he can play off, or, off of or a few traits that, you know, he can elevate. Mm-hmm. But someone like Nazem Kadri could really use a star, right? And the... Small samples that we have of Lindholm, Kadri, Brown succeeding, notwithstanding, Kadri's line has looked ineffective at times this year, and even even with this again small sample of that of Kadri's line with Lindholm and Brown succeeding, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I really buy it. I feel like that yeah. could just be variance. I could just I, I don't see the sk- the the skills across that line to consistently carry play. Um, but you put someone like Nylander there, and I think they could. Yeah. So, I mean. I think the Leafs very much still could use Neander. I think a lot of the talk about, oh, their offense is great without him, so they don't need him. It's like, yes, their offense is great without him. It would be greater with him, right? He, the trickle-down effect of adding a star like Neander and that's what he is. Oh, yeah. Right? He's at, I think the most conservative thing you could say about him right now is that he's an average for a signed winger, and he's 22. Yeah, right? so, so mm, pretty the good. The trickle-down effect of that is, you know, you, you move other players down you, uh, into... A role where they're more effective, it, it boosts your entire lineup because now everyone is playing kind of above their pay or sorry below their pay grade, mm-hmm. below their play grade. Like, <laughs> oh you're, yeah, everyone over, pointed. everyone's overqualified. Yeah, essentially for their role. Um, so yeah, it would be. A, it's a really scary offense right now, and it's even scarier when Neander comes back. I don't think. I don't think Captain's emergence makes him expendable in any real way. Part also because I don't think. Nylander's trade value is as I don't think his trade value has caught up to his actual value as a player Mm -hmm. I think he's underrated on on the market um because his basically because his counting stats aren't that phenomenal and it's it it, I found this interesting that like we've made so many advances in player evaluation and still so much of it and so much of like comparable analysis comes down to oh well this guy has more points per game yeah do we do we not adjust for literally anything else
2: No, I mean, we had this discussion about the Ehlers comparable uh, Mm -hmm. a couple weeks back where it's like you can't just point to that and expect that that's going to decide the argument. But uh, the other thing is that, you know, we're all talking about how dynamite the Leafs' offense is, and it's really good. Like, some of that is genuine. Austin Matthews is on pace for 137 goals. Like, I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but one, we all know that that's not going to happen, right? And In light of that, like, if you kind of adjust him to what would be a more normal goal total, are the Leafs still this unstoppable juggernaut? You you know, they're still good. They're still very good. But I think even when you know better, just seeing those pretty big numbers on the page kind of jumps out at you and makes you think, like, this is somehow more real than it is or more sustainable than it is the puck actually did go in, don't get me wrong, but like, again, he's shooting 50%. (laughs) That's not going to continue.
1: That's why it's been really good to see them succeed in a more sustainable way over the last few games. The other thing to keep in mind is that Kapanen and Marlowe are not first-line quality players, right? So he's still doing a lot with not a whole lot. It's not like this is the loaded Dallas Stars top line. No. Right? We're not giving Matthews an amazing amount to work with. Marlowe at this point is probably an average middle six forward kapanen i think if we're charitable around the same
2: yeah I, and maybe potentially a little bit more because we don't quite know yeah. what there's is. More, there's We there's more what Marlo uncertainty is. there
1: yeah there's more uncertainty there with kapanen
2: yep the shot share with kapanen is
0: mm-hmm.
2: even close to reflective of their actual level like if this is a 55 percent shot share team uh, yeah. line with austin matthews finishing talent, that's gonna be really really scary like, that's one of the better lines in the league results-wise,
1: then. Like, yeah. I expect it to come down just because so few lines in the league sustain that. Like, yeah. I think Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak is, like, 57 58%. Yeah.
2: But, like, th- this would be, like, close to that with one of the best offensive talents in the NHL. And Matthews is more... I'll, I'll just say it, like, he has more offensive ability than anyone on that Bruins line, which is saying something because it's a hell of a line, but... Yes. Anyway, uh, it, it, is, it, it does make you kind of giddy to think about. And, uh, you know, we should, for all the caveats and all the concerns that we have and are going to air, it is worth noting, you know, the team is 5-1. and one, and, mm-hmm.
1: s- and they played well. They largely deserve that record.
2: Yeah, like their worst game was the first one out. Uh, mm-hmm. And since then, they've actually looked uneven, sloppy at times but also incredibly dangerous, and some of that is real. Some of that is sustainable, so it's good.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Leafs have such a big margin for error in some sense. Like, I think they only really need to be a bit above average as a shot-chair team in order to sustain actual kind of dominance because, for one, um, the Leafs tend to get to the right spots of the ice like they generally have a shot quality advantage on most teams which is saying something because they give up really amazing shots to the other team but um matthews in particular like i I mentioned that matthews the the only real concern of him is like driving shots but what isn't a concern with him is whether he has a shot quality advantage over his opponents which he almost always does because he's just a savant at generating shots in the slot and in tight and on rebounds and then doing all the things that create goals yeah right plus
2: his personal finishing percentage is higher yes. than that
1: so. yeah I, I wrote i wrote a piece on this last year or was it last year it might have been the offseason <laughs> but basically matthews is like completely unique as a goal scorer in that he's pretty much the only guy in the league who combines a huge amount of shot volume from proportion from predominantly High value areas of the ice, and also finishes those shots at an above average rate. Mm-hmm. So uh, the way I termed it was shot volume, um, shot quality, and shot efficiency. He's the only person who combines all three of them.
2: Yeah, which is pretty nice. I, yeah, I it, it, like, it also
0: means
1: it means that we don't have to care about his Corsi as much. It's still nice to have, obviously, mm-hmm. but he he drives play in a way that most players cannot yeah I, right and if he starts to add the shot volume on top of that that's just like the the Corsi, the bergeron type thing mm-hmm. where you you're just like smothering the other team in terms of always being in their zone he's going to become so 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 dominant
2: oh god yeah i get giddy just thinking about it man that said i mean and again this is feels like nitpicking he's not good defensively right now
1: and no, that's just, he's not. you know, <laughs> he's not, um, it's I almost like, whatever, yesterday. who
2: cares? He's so good offensively. It barely, like, it doesn't really matter that much, but it's like, yeah. he's not that effective in his own zone yet.
1: Yes. And so I, I tweeted about this yesterday during the game yeah. and I got a lot of pushback on it, which I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I honestly, I, I'm trying to say this without sounding very dismissive, but I don't know how someone can watch Austin Matthews in the defensive zone. Mm-hmm. And say, yes, that is a good defensive player right now. He is very good at certain elements of defense. He is a, a, an artist at taking away the puck. He's a really good puck thief. Yeah. But they, the team surrenders so many shots when he's on the ice. They surrender so many expected goals when he's on the ice. Last year, they actually didn't surrender that many actual goals. But I think that was in large part due to a really high on-ice save percentage. And, you know, I, I don't want to relitigate 2012 all over again. But it's pretty well established that most players do not have a profound impact on their on-ice shooting percentage certainly most centers don't and i don't think matthews is one of those guys Mm. at this point he is not very good defensively but like he is perhaps the second most destructive offensive player in the league so you know it's not it's not the biggest thing in the world but when he gets described as like this two-way savant it's it's kind of weird to me it's it feels like people see how good he is as t- at takeaways and assume that he's that good at the rest of kind of the ensemble of defense. People, And in my opinion, he's, he's just not at this point. He can get there. He's, yeah. he's 21. He can get there. Yeah, But I think right now he's not.
2: I, I think that's fair to say. I think people just want to believe that he's good at everything because they want him to be, you know, our shining star. You know, Sidney Crosby, yeah. Crosby was not that great defensively. And he would get a few votes for the Selkie each year, just because, you know, people wanted to believe. Uh,
1: Connor McDavid's not that great defensively. It just, it doesn't matter because he is Connor McDavid. And pretty much the same thing is essentially going to be true of Austin Matthews, if it's not already.
2: Yeah, Uh, I mean, like, if if you're making bets on who's going to win the Rocket Richard this year, I don't see how he's not the betting favorite right now.
1: Yeah, he has like a five goal lead on yeah. his nearest composition, uh, competition. We're five games into the season. Yeah,
2: like even if you like adjust it down and like okay, he's only going to shoot like seventeen percent instead of whatever. It's like he's probably going to hit fifty goals. So
0: yeah,
1: I, that's pretty he, good. He only needs to score at like a forty three, forty four goal pace to get fifty goals this season. Um, he he's basically just spotted himself such a huge cushion, right? Because mm-hmm. we can say it's unsustainable, but those goals did go in, so they still count. Exactly right? So, he, he like, that's already happened. That's already locked in. He already has 10 goals. He's, like, he's 20% of the way to 50 goals, and we are what? Six games into the regular season.
0: It's yeah. bananas.
2: And Just on a... Because I know that we're, like, two hyper-intellectual nerds who <laughs> mostly just talk about, like, oh, number up, number down. It's been so much goddamn fun just yeah. watching him walk on the ice, and you're like, surely the madness has to stop, and it doesn't you know like he just keeps doing it um he he had that shot a couple of games ago where it was just on his stick and i remember thinking in the instant as it arrived i was like oh that goalie is dead and that was the end of it and just boom uh yeah perfect shot
1: this team is so fun to watch it really really is i think I especially and justifiably kind of get uh, some stick from people from being too pessimistic, which I, you know, what that's a fair criticism of me. <laughs> um, I am kind of a bit too pessimistic, but this team is so so fun. It really is. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they've been in a boring game yet. Even the games where I was frustrated about them, like the the Habs and the Sens game because they were losing, mm-hmm. um, they were they were fun to watch. Like things happen, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I I've been watching a lot of other teams as well, and it's it's sort of weird just being like. Wait, your guy doesn't just snipe it bar down from 45 feet up?
2: <laughs> do you not have uh, someone do- who does that
1: for you? <laughs> no, I mean, you should pretty, you're trying to work on that.
2: <laughs> Get you a man who can do both. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember Andy was talking about how, like, the Flyers were playing somebody, and she was like, both teams are playing defense. Not sure if I like that. Like, it's just, Yeah. it's weird to contemplate, but, um, The only question with Matthews now seems to be like this Matthews versus McDavid discussion that everyone is having. And I guess we can briefly kind of have it. Connor McDavid is so good. So, so, so good right now that that's still not a real conversation. It's closer than I dared to hope is the most I will say. I think it's still clear that Connor McDavid is the best player in the world and I expect he will Mm -hmm. continue to be that. But it is very cool having a guy who is seriously entering the conversation for second and is in kind of hailing distance of first, which is still more than we've ever had maybe since Ted Kennedy in the 50s, which is like nuts. So, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: So this whole, this started like a whole kind of weird discussion slash debate. And I think this started with, a Bruce Arthur article mm-hmm. where he he quoted Ray Ferraro and Ray said something to the effect of, you know, Matthews is putting himself in the conversation yeah. to be the best player in the world, which is like, I think even that's a bit optimistic, but I don't think that's like terribly controversial.
2: Conversation is like a broad term, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I say Austin Matthews is the best player in the world and Fuleman says, no, we're having a conversation about it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now he's in the conversation.
1: So yeah, I mean, I, I also I don't think it's completely absurd that he's nearly as good as McDavid or not nearly, but he is approaching McDavid levels offensively because he is one thing I, I'm confident about saying he's a better goal scorer than McDavid.
2: yeah, I think he's a better goal scorer than anyone on the planet
1: Yes he's the, in my opinion right now the best goal scorer in the world mm-hmm. uh, over the last two years at even strength his goal numbers are they, they blow pretty much everyone else out of the water. I remember looking into this and the difference between him and Brad Marchand, who was, like, so Matthews was first in the league in 5v5 goal rate. Mm-hmm. Marchand was, like, seventh over the past two years. And the difference between them was the same as the difference between Marchand and Nick Bonino, who was, like, <laughs> 120th or something.
2: That's madness.
1: Right? And, like, Marchand's obviously a brilliant offensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows you Matthews is... Was, he was in a league of his own in his last two years in, uh, in scoring at even strength. And what was kind of holding him back was the power play. And yeah, that power play is not holding him back anymore.
2: <laughs> I think the power play has actually been pretty good, if you have looked, <laughs> <laughs>
1: Underrated story. Yeah, I'm surprised no one's Toronto talked about that
2: unit scoring every four seconds. But yeah.
1: Yeah. They were finally held off the score sheet uh, against Washington. And then Josh Levo scores. <laughs> yeah, the so, second oh, unit finally
2: were like, now it's our time to shine. So that was funny. Again,
1: the Leafs power play went one of three yesterday against the Blackhawks. Or not the Blackhawks, the Capitals. And that lowered their percentage for the year. Yeah.
2: A disappointing 33% execute. Like, I do actually wonder what's the level that this power play can settle in at. You, you know, I think that, yeah. like... Yeah. High... I think like
1: it'll be mid-20s. Yeah. I feel like mid-20s is almost the floor, but, like,
2: mid-20s is so good. Yeah. Like, like mid and to high was... 20s are definitely in the conversation, which
0: is nuts.
1: Yeah. It feels homewors to be like, oh yeah, I think twenty eight percent because like twenty eight percent would be like one of the five best power plays in the, mo- in, like, the modern era yeah. since like the seventies or whatever. But that power play is absolutely deadly. Anyways, um, going back to the Matthews McDavid thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, McDavid is the best player in the world. Um, I don't think there's any real question about that anymore. Matthews is if he's if he's not already the second best offensive player in the world. I think he is pretty close to it, and again, he's 21. He's going to get better. So I saw a lot of fans of other teams getting annoyed by this. Suck it up, because the yeah. next 10 years are going to be about this. Like yeah. Matthews isn't going away.
2: <laughs> That's the other thing. Is the uh, Seldo who writes for our site had a mm-hmm. mildly comic article apologizing to other fan bases, and if you read between the lines, it was very subtle. But some of the apologies were a little bit facetious. And (laughs) perhaps not as sincere as you might think. And we had some people being like, oh, this is why people hate Leafs fans. This is, you know what, man? Everyone's always going to hate us because we get too much media attention. And we got it when we were bad. Like, do you remember WaffleGate and SaluteGate and the stuff around the FNUF team? And And
1: MandelaGate? Gate? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I, that would not have happened in Florida.
2: No. None of this stuff happens. And so, I hate to say it, but, like, we were the comic relief of the NHL. And be so. Yeah. Like, we, were, we were garbage. We sucked. And now we're good. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you are another, a fan of another team, and you're thinking, it's so annoying that the Leafs get all this attention or something, I really mean this, eat shit. because. We've put up with too much for too long and I don't care anymore. And you know what? Maybe we're not going to get a cup, but goddammit, we have we're going to have some fun on the way. So I've suffered too long to to feel bad about that now. So Yeah,
1: I I mean it there, there were some fans in that in that piece who were like, "Oh, see, you know, you're you're talking high, you're all high and mighty now, but when you lose in the playoffs, we're going to give it back to you." And it's like
2: <laughs> you were giving it back to us anyway. Yeah. Like what like what? What if we were, like, meek and mild? Would you be like, oh, yes, it's too bad that you got eliminated? No! You hope that we trip on the way into the arena and Austin Matthews blows out his ACL and that the Leafs somehow tank and then trade their traffic? Like, there is a whole cadre of people who are not just Boston Bruins fans who watch the Leafs 4-1 video where they blow that lead in the playoffs as, like, masturbation material. I'm sorry, but, like... That was like thrown in our face for years. And so, again, you know justifiably what?
1: Justifiably so. Like that. that sports is, is stupid tribalism. Exactly. That's all it is. It's it's irrational tribalism. Which is also why I don't really feel bad for sense fans. No. Nope. Like I know people are like, oh, you know, you gotta feel bad for them. It's like no,
2: fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like they hope we get contracted you know it's like well, it's they, not... they might get contracted i know huh? uh, honestly and i don't know that i quite want them to get contracted yeah no,
1: I, I i don't wish for fans to lose their teeth. yeah but like
2: but i gotta tell you the endless failure has been terrific i've really been yeah, enjoying do i that.
1: Do, do i laugh when Pierre dorian's response to what do you like about <laughs> your group this year is we're a team after like taking 30 seconds to think about it <laughs> of course
2: that was still the and... funniest thing that's ever happened
1: yeah and when the Leafs lose in the playoffs, as will certainly happen, most likely will happen this year or next year or the year after, all three of those years, yeah. I expect fans to they crap on them for it, which is fine. That's what sports is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you know, uh, Mike Fifty Mission Cap on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, used to write for us at PPP had a had a funny tweet uh, after we signed Tavares, which was something like. Gotta say, I'm really going to enjoy the folks who base their personality on being a sentient 1967 joke <laughs> that said we were delusional for thinking we'd land Tavares, now preaching for Leafs fans to show quiet civility like they're a WAPO opinion column. To be honest.
2: <laughs> just, just an amazing thing. That is perfectly you know, on, so, on the nose, and it's true. On so many levels. You should have seen the amount of stuff where it's like, can you believe the delusional Toronto media thinking that they would ever sign a free agent that anyone would ever want to be part of the Toronto organization. Like, Lighthouse Hockey, who was our Isle's sister blog, had a 14,000-word running article, which was entitled something like a long history of John Tavares telling Ontario and Toronto to piss off. And guess what? He didn't tell us to piss off at the end. He told us, I want to sign on the dotted line. So second.
1: And then the other the other thing, this is, going back to the Tavares thing, a lot of people are like, oh, he only signed there because it was the hometown team. I don't think that's the case. I think it helped. Yeah. But I think he wanted to win. Yeah. I think, I mean, maybe that's me being delusional, but most of the talk beforehand was Tavares wants to win. That's mm-hmm. it. He wants to win. He's going to go to the place that gives him the best chance of winning. And I, in my opinion, he made the right choice. San Jose, I think, would have also been a good choice, although certainly more focused on the short term than the long term.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the moral of this is that if you're a Leafs fan, the other teams are going to hate you, which is fine, mm-hmm. just the, the same way every fan base hates the Yankees, every fan base hates the Knicks, every fan base hates Manchester United. Yeah, Right? Like, that's, that's the way it is. And those teams, at least besides the Knicks, have had success to also increase the hate. The Leafs have not had that yet. No. Um, but... Yeah, that's just the way it is. I, I don't really mind it, but I'm also not going to be a wallflower when, like, when good things happen for the Leafs. No. What they want right? is for like, us
2: to be sad. They want our team yes. to lose. They want us to not enjoy our winning to the fullest. They want us to wear sackcloth and ashes and be apologetic for the sin of cheering for a franchise that they don't like. And again, eat shit. <laughs> We're Leafs fans. Go Leafs go. We're good. There we go. Yes. I, like, this is like my Braveheart speech moment when we're going to like, <laughs> now let's lapse back into talking about expected goals per 60.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, this is like a very like low key podcast mm. most of the time. Then we're, we just like start, start suddenly donned battle armor. It's like, oh, if you're not with us, then you can fuck off.
2: <laughs> Seriously though, like I saw a lot of things and include, they're from some like stats minded people, some of whom I actually really like. Um, mm-hmm. like, you know, Namitha or uh, people like that. But it's like, it's like I'm so tired of hearing about the Leafs and it's just, it's awful. Well, you know what? Too bad. That's how I feel about that. <laughs> so.
1: The other thing is, like, a lot of Leafs fans, and I include myself here, Like it's good that we have a lot of coverage for the team in, in many ways. There's never any shortage of Leafs um, content. Mm-hmm. And frankly, this podcast would not get nearly as many views or listens if it was about the lord of panthers or the national predators or any other team really yeah um but it means you also have to put up with a lot of stupid talk about your team
2: oh my god constantly awful like can you imagine if this team were doing less than well the Nylander chatter has been kind of painful day <laughs> in day out caprio saying they have, him, they have to trade him they have to trade him they have to trade him over and over again that's been bad enough When the team is less than really good, or less than winning right this second, it becomes this wall of just relentless, toxic criticism. And it's, after a while, you want to claw your ears out, because it's it's, so bad.
1: The talk about Nylander in particular has been terrible, because it's Mm. been like, it's vacillating between, he's not that good, which is, A, completely not true, Um, (laughs) like, like, He's a, a good player. I feel that's like we... That's the most annoying part of it to me. Yeah. Actually, the most annoying part of it to me is Leaf fans who are arguing that Nylander isn't that good. It's like, oh, Casperri Kaepernick can replace him. It's like, no, we fucking can't.
2: <laughs> Have you noticed that, like... And this is the thing. Maybe it's because I remember us picking William Nylander in 2014, and mm-hmm. us drafting him was the first time in a very long time I thought our front office did something right yeah. that really mattered. Yes. Uh, and it was Dave Notis who actually made the pick. And yeah, for all his many sins, that was great. But it's like, he was our great hope at one point, And now everyone's like, is he even a hockey player? Like, without Matthews, he'd probably score 35 points. And he's soft and Swedish and blonde and all this sort of stuff. It's like, come on, man. Can we just keep some perspective a little bit once in a while?
1: Yeah, the amazing thing about, like, everyone being, people arguing that, oh, Kapanen has made Nylander redundant. Like, not even what we were saying before, does that change where you want to use Nylander? Mm-hmm. People saying that it makes him redundant how Kapanen has done with Matthews. First off, it's been three games, that's chill. <laughs> Secondly, Nylander literally did this exact same thing with Matthews last year. Yeah. Where they, they started off the season, they were gangbusters, they destroyed teams. Yeah. The difference was Matthews didn't have as an crazy shot, uh, hot year in terms of shooting. He, I mean, and by that, I mean he wasn't at 40% or whatever. He was only at, like, 20. Um, <laughs> but, like, Nylander has done this already. We've seen him do this. Order. We've seen him do it at a higher degree than what we've seen from Kapanen, actually. like yeah. As good as that line has been, I don't have that much doubt that if you put Nylander there instead of Kapanen, it would be better. Mm-hmm. It would be as good, or pretty close to as good as the Taveras Hyman-Marner line.
2: Yeah, which we barely have discussed this episode, but it's just casually, like, a, easily yeah, a, just, a top, what, 15 line in the NHL?
1: Yeah, it's just casually, like, <laughs> speed-bagging teams. Just ridiculous. They, they finally had a, a poor game against Washington. I'm not sure what necessarily happened there, if it was just, you know, players have poor games that happens. Yeah. Um, but even still, they're just destroying teams right now. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs, with nylander there could potentially have two lines like that yeah that just destroy it like 55 56 percent Corsi.
0: yeah
1: and
2: and again with our shooting advantages that's a dominant advantage like that's potentially
1: especially since um both those lines matthews nylander uh taveras and marner are all high penalty differential players Mm -hmm. and by that i mean they draw more penalties than they take generally speaking yeah Uh, just one note and then because my campaign
2: to uh constantly drum up Zach Hyman, is uh, (laughs) kicking into high gear because he's doing well, but there was a very good article from Justin Bourne at The Athletic this week talking Mm -hmm. about what exactly it is that Zach Hyman is doing on the forecheck that is supposedly so effective that gets people so excited about him, and it's sort of his way of shepherding uh, a puck-carrying defenseman up the short wall to other players and just putting that pressure on relentlessly In puck battles where you're still going to lose a lot of the time, like he talked about the doggedness and persistence that it takes to keep engaging with all your effort when you know that a lot of the time it's not really going to work out. Like you'll just do your best and the defenseman will get the pass away anyway and then you got to hustle back. But every now and then you're going to force a turnover that another player is not going to force. And the ability to keep doing that relentlessly day in, day out is the kind of stuff that coaches fall in love with. And I totally get why Mike Babcock has this almost comically overstated love of Zach Hyman, because he sees that that happens, even if it's not obvious. So anyway, I would recommend that article, just as an aside.
0: anyway. Yeah,
1: no that, that was a brilliant article, and it, it's one of those articles that, you know, it's very rare that something does this, but it's something that now I notice on a game-to-game basis, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, that 4 did a great job there. He forced them where he wanted to force them, even if he didn't get the puck. It's an article that kind of increased my appreciation of the game, which is... Always really, really interesting. It was a great article by Bourne. Um, And yeah, I don't think it's an accident that Hyman's pretty much always been a part of successful lines, Mm -hmm. right? And yes, that has a lot to do with his line mates. It it does, 100%. Yeah. Um, But he is a part of that, right? He takes some responsibility for that. Uh, It's not... I don't think Mike Babcock is dumb. I think Mike Babcock has made mistakes. He is wrong about some things. But by and large, I think he gets most things right.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think he was right about Hyman. And he was on Hyman very early on and actually so are you pretty much reading in off Babcock's uh praise of him.
2: Yeah, I, I won't lie. I ranked Zach Hyman super high in the top 25 in 2016 and I got a lot of crap for it and the mm-hmm. result has been for the subsequent like two plus years I've just been crowing relentlessly about him and I got to be real, I'm not going to stop. So <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, just I've been enjoying, but that line, you know, they're a lot of fun. The power play is a lot of fun. I'm yeah. looking forward to Leaf games in a way that, like, I'm always kind of excited, but it's just weird watching and thinking, I bet that they will score three, four five goals tonight, and so far they yeah. haven't disappointed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we, we've said, you know, we don't want to get carried away, and we've been, like, waxing poetic, because this is the 70s Canadians here. <laughs> Uh, we've guaranteed a a boring 2-1 loss to the Kings.
2: Oh god, and the Kings are the team to do it too, aren't they? Just like (laughs) a dull friggin' team. Anyway.
1: Yeah, but I mean it can't be overstated how much fun this group is to watch, and I think I've mentioned a couple times my my kind of worst case realistic fear for the Leafs is that they'd be a team that couldn't really carry play at even strength, uh, couldn't get the better of the shots and chances battle at even strength, and would kind of rely on out-shooting teams out-goaltending teams and special teams Mm -hmm. um so far that has not come to fruition they have relied on out-shooting teams Mm -hmm. and their special teams for sure but at even strength they have been good enough and that's all they need to be is good enough now it's far too early to make any definitive claims because last year the Leafs were off to just a bonkers hot start um both in terms of shot share and goals and then it slowed down and the reason why was the subject of much debate and much criticism of babcock yeah this year i don't know why and it could just be wishful thinking but it feels more sustainable i, I don't feel like there's any impetus on babcock to change anything right now no and i, I think I mean... the system as maligned as it is has been producing fine results right like i we were kind of complaining about the over reliance on the stretch pass, and from what I can tell, they have actually started to go away from that mm-hmm. a little bit. But I think I'm no expert on this. How do you how do you feel about like I guess their overall level of play this season and whether it, it's going to change or whether we can take much away from it at this point?
2: I, th- I think the return of William Nylander is the biggest change on the horizon. Whenever it does happen, mm-hmm. I only have really been disappointed. In the first game, I thought the Leafs looked quite bad against the Habs, notwithstanding they won that game, and it worried me a lot how they looked bad, because I thought that they were getting exposed by a Mm 4-check. Subsequent to that, I thought they played at least very respectably on the whole. Like, still some sloppy uh, defensive work, and just- They're still
1: bad in their own zone.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they look terrible in their own zone, and uh, that's probably just a, a feature at this point. And yeah. some of the goals against, you're like, what happened to all of your brains? Do they not operate anymore? Like, <laughs> it just like a calamity uh, ending with the puck in our net. But that said, they've looked good. Against the Red Wings, I thought they really mailed in the third period, which yeah. was a bit of an uncomfortable reminder of days gone by where we would just get a lead and sit on it. But by and large, this has looked like a really good team, independent of the fact that they're just scoring a billion goals a minute. Uh, yeah. So, so it's been good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's been positive signs thus far. It, mm-hmm. it really has. It's You don't want to, again, don't want to get carried away, but the, the fears that I had before the season are, you know, if the Leafs continue this, they'll be completely assuaged. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean if people give people give babcock crap justifiably i don't think he had a great year last year mm-hmm. but if this continues i think they have to acknowledge that he's done something to impact it as well right Yeah, you uh, can't be one of those things where the players do everything good and babcock's responsible for everything bad
2: yeah if they are a 52 percent shot share team as they are right now granted they've had some some weak competition if, yeah but,
1: they've had a weak schedule
2: but if they do that with their shooting i think that they're there's certainly a real threat to win the division, even considering, I think, once Tampa wakes up, that's going to be a hell of a race. But,
1: and Boston looks really good as well.
2: I know. I don't... Why is this happening to me again? But, um, yeah, by and large, I, I think we have a lot to feel good about. There's really just kind of one thing that's been worrying us. Uh, I mean, it's been worrying me, and I know you've said similar things, which is that the Gardner-Zeitsev pair is straight up not working.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's kind of, as you said, the turd in the punch bowl, because Mm -hmm. the other Leafs defensive pairs have been really good. I think Dermot and Ozzyganov have been uh, excellent on the third pair, Uh, having no longer playing Polak there, I think is, I think people overstated how bad Polak was, but he was bad. (laughs) He was was bad. He Mm -hmm. was bad. Don't get me wrong. But when you get players who are. Kind of handily winning those depth matchups, it makes a difference on the margins, and that matters. Uh, Riley Hainsey, I thought Hainsey looked washed in the first two games, but his results have been really, really good. And his results have been into ludicrous.
2: It... Like yeah, I actually it, it... don't know what to do with these other than to note that he's playing with some extremely good forwards. But like, yeah. I'm taken aback <laughs> at how good yeah, they no, are.
1: No, me, me, me as well. Because like when you when you look at the Riley hainsey pair. Mm-hmm. Um, they have performed well with pretty much every set of forwards that the Leafs have. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're just getting carried by the Taveras line or something like that. And then when you look at the gardner zaitsev pair, they have not performed well with basically any forwards. They've done okay with the Kadri group, but that's, you know, they've done only okay with them. And they've been hugely negative in terms of shot chair and goal differential with both Taveras and Matthews, which is unusual. Um, and that certainly not something that we want to see from our our second pair no so i i don't really know what's going on there aside from saying that i don't think this is all on zaitsev to my eye jake has not been amazing either
2: no i i hate to bring in this kind of personal speculation and stuff like this but jake has a newborn at home and i don't know if you know some of the stuff around that there's the obvious possibility for loss of sleep when you're at home but more than that I just wonder if maybe in terms of preparation or in terms of, you know, where his head's at, he's got some other things on his mind right now, which would be very understandable if so, but he hasn't looked like good Jake Gardner. Even the best Jake Gardner sometimes has brain farts, but he has moments of brilliance and like elite carrying and passing that kind of make up for it. Uh, Right now, it's not not there, and I'm hoping he can get it there.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, the other thing to worry about there with, with Jake is that he is getting older. He's like 28 now, I think, right? Yeah. Um, so we wouldn't expect a huge fall off there mm-hmm. uh, at that age necessarily, but it's also not out of the realm of possibility that his game is starting to deteriorate a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when paired with someone, like as I said, where Jake does have to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the transition work and the offensive work, maybe that's taking a toll. It could just be that these two don't, match up well together for whatever reason, their games don't mesh. I, I'm, I'm short on answers and heavy on questions here, but it, it is going to be something that they have to monitor because I don't think that the riley hansey pair is going to sustain exactly how good they've been, and not necessarily because of any negative feelings towards them specifically, but because they've been their results have been so good that some regression is kind of just naturally going to happen.
2: If Ron Hainsey is somehow a 58% percent shot share defenseman at, like, age 1 billion, (laughs) I don't know what to believe anymore.
1: And the thing is, like, we actually saw something similar last year, right? Mm -hmm. Where Hainsey and Riley were really dominant to start the year. They had, like, a 10-game stretch to start the year where they were pretty much doing this. And then it slowly started to fall off for them and just kind of went off the rails by the end of the year. And Hainsey was visibly, you know, running on fumes. Yeah. So... And the thing is, I don't think we've really diminished Hainsey's workload that much. Last year, he was averaging 22 minutes per game. This year, he's averaging 21 so far. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge difference. He is playing less on the penalty kill, I believe. Like, now, Babcock is actually using Dermot and Ozheganov and Marincin when he plays. Yeah. Uh, in those spots, which is, which is good. But, again, it's not seemingly taking a huge load off Hainsey. Yeah, uh, like, like there's really
2: a clear desire sure to, uh, to ease his load a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but they're not easing it by that much. It's not no. like he's playing cushy third pair of minutes now. No.
2: Um, and, and so I do wonder about, like, what's the thinking? Because Travis Dermott has impressed, by and large, in third pair of minutes. Mm-hmm. And the third pair is working quite well. Yeah. So, so it's a question of, at what point does Travis Dermott... Start to really encroach on top four minutes because I think that that has to happen sooner or later. I think I think it's already starting Mm -hmm. to some degree.
1: Katya had an article on it that yeah discussed that. Like it's a slow process, but you can see the early stages of it where Heindi is getting pulled back a little bit relative to Riley and Dermot is playing a little more than his counterpart, right? And it's nothing huge, just kind of finding shifts here and there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I that will be something to keep an eye on throughout the season. To see how how that develops, whether it's going to whether Hainsy going to sorry, whether Dermot's going to continue to have a larger role throughout the year, uh, assuming he can handle it, which so far it seems like he can.
0: Yeah,
2: and so that's kind of what we gotta hope for, really. Is that, like that's where the improvement has to come from mm-hmm. on, on the back end, because again, I don't foresee a, a major addition. Yeah, and I mean,
1: I also we were saying that Hainsy Riley is probably going to come down a little bit in terms of their shot share. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're at, like, 58% or something. Yeah. Right now, Gardner-Zeit is at, like, 38% or, like, 40%. That's, like, probably too low, even for them. Yeah. So I would expect to see them improve on that, just because there's it's pretty hard to get worse than that. Even the worst players in the league don't really put up huge minute totals with that low of a shot share.
2: Unless they play for Anaheim. But uh, <laughs> this is an aside. Yeah. I just want to mention this because it's bananas. The Anaheim Ducks somehow got outshot 30-3 to in a period. In one period of a game, they allowed 30 shots against. I don't, like, I honestly think that if you had a team of players that were dead, and you put their corpses around the defensive zone, arranged in such a way as to form a flesh wall, you still would probably give up fewer than 30 shots in a period. Like, it's nuts that that happened. Um, I'm so glad Randy Carlyle doesn't coach our team anymore because it's that awesome. guy is the worst coach in the NHL.
1: It's really... They have good defensemen. I would
2: do a lot of pretty
1: awful things to get Hampus Lindholm
2: Oh, on the God, Leafs. yeah. Like, just one of the best two-way defenders in the NHL. But then it's like, you know, they don't use these guys at all like their whole strategy seems to be like well let's batten down the hatches and hope john gibson can save us and so far john gibson has saved them
1: yeah gibson's amazing
2: yeah i know like he's a great goalie but it's like sooner or later i don't know if he's going to just get some sort of percussive wounding from the amount of rubber that's bouncing (laughs) off his body but you shouldn't do that you shouldn't play like that for a team that has still a nominal level of talent. And Anyway, every time I get a little bit annoyed with Mike Babcock, and again, there are things to complain about, I think, oh, yeah, we used to be coached by a caveman whose idea of defense was just goaltending. You know, it's a sort of like, we'll just collapse completely and hang on for dear life. And, uh, it's
1: bonkers. It really, so Anaheim has right now a 38% score adjusted Corsi Yeah. Over five games.
2: I, uh,. They're 3-1-1. One one. Yeah. Thank you, John Gibson. The, <laughs> that's, uh, that's amazing. I could be wrong about this because I'm quoting off the top of my head, but I believe in the fancy stat era, the very worst Buffalo tank team finished at 36%. And yeah. I don't think any other team has been below 40 for the year.
1: I think one of the other tanking Sabre teams were like 40.2 or something.
2: Yeah. So it's like if the Anaheim Ducks have taken the amount of talent that they have, and if they manage to put up results like this, the rest of the way not only should randy carlisle be fired but i feel like he should be banned from associating with hockey teams in the future because clearly he's a toxic ridiculous
1: yeah that's i cannot even (laughs) that must be depressing to i remember being so annoyed just watching carlisle hockey because it's a lot of things would happen but like it was just so repetitive and nothing good happened to the team
2: no occasionally
1: like you get like a a two-on-one goal it was, it was so depressing to watch that team.
2: That was it. Like, the whole thing was Phil Kessel and either JVR or Lupul, depending on the era, would sometimes get a two-on-one, and that was your excitement, and then you're back to 10 minutes of just hanging on for dear life and watching, like, friggin' Dion Phaneuf, who tried his best, but, like, he was way overmatched, and then just, like, some seventh defenseman uh next to him, like hanging on for dear life while they just like drop and block shots and get danced by good teams. Uh, this is the counterpoint to all the joy that we feel watching the team now. It's yeah. like one really hideous decade where it was just all trash like that. So let us it count our really, blessings.
0: Really bad for that
1: time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Alright, I think we actually hit on pretty much everything we wanted to to get to. The uh, only um we kind of we kind of had a pretty lengthy digression when we were just bitching about everyone else hating us. <laughs> <laughs> That'll really endear us to the rest of the world.
2: In later podcasts um, we're just gonna have like angry diss raps where we're just sort of like, you know, we don't get no respect and F y'all. And uh I think that's uh, what we're doing. I think speaking of Leaf fans crowing though, yeah uh, which is always a justifiable thing. We were talking about some of the drafts in the past and, you know, who we would have taken. In 2015, I actually wanted to draft Noah Hannafin. Yeah, I wanted
1: uh, to draft Dylan Strom, so...
2: Yeah, and so I'm very glad that that isn't what happened. I mean, they couldn't have drafted Dylan Strom, as it turned out. Yeah. But I'm very glad that we picked Mitch Marner. But you actually watched uh, the Coyotes because... Is everything okay, man? (laughs) a little worried so, but you did I've, watch
1: the I've coyotes
2: actually, yeah i've watched
1: a couple games of the coyotes this season and um you know what the coyotes are an interesting team in some respects it, they, they're actually playing well systemically so um guess where the coyotes are in so they played uh four games guess mm-hmm. where the coyotes are in uh coursey four percentage score adjusted
2: uh fifth did
1: you know that off the top of your head? Or?
2: No, that's an extremely lucky guess if I nailed it.
0: Yeah,
1: you did. Oh, um, yeah. So I could... 57% Corsi percentage. Uh, now, I, I already told Fulman this before, so I'm not going to play the guessing game with him. But um, if you're listening at home, just mentally make a guess of how many five on five goals they've scored. The answer is zero. <laughs> is that they, good? <laughs>
0: they they like are shooting zero
1: percent through four games at 5-on-5. Five five. Mm. They have scored two goals, both on the power play. They cannot buy a goal right now, but systemically, they actually look decent. Mm. And a guy who I've actually been impressed with on their team is Doan Strome. So, um, Strome was picked third in 2015, right, be- right in front of Mitch Marner, right behind Jack Eichel. That draft was famously incredibly good at the top. In the top 10, you have McDavid, Eichel, Marner, Hanifin, Provorov, Wierenski, Pavel Zaka's in there, which is another bad pick. Yeah. Uh, Timo Meyer was picked 11th. Like that, that was a re- it was a really, really strong draft. Mm-hmm. And Strom has thus far failed to make an impact at the NHL level. And, and that's honestly shocking given his background, right? He was dominant in the OHL. In the AHL last year as uh, a 20-year-old? Or no, it, might, it would have been... Yeah, as a 20-year-old. Um, he put up a point per game, which is ridiculous. That's incredibly, incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he hasn't made an impact in the NHL. And this year is kind of, it's kind of a put-up or shut-up year, right? Where everything about him points to him being an NHL player, but not necessarily having the impact that you would hope for when you're picked third overall in a stacked draft. However, I think he's sort of putting it together. Um, he's been really, really dominant from a shot-share perspective, and he's not playing with great line mates. His line mates are Christian Fisher and Lawson Kroos who I think are probably decent NHL players, but Strom's doing a lot of work there. He's been yeah. dominant on the face-off draws. I think there's actually quite a bit there. It would not surprise me if he became kind of a high-end second-line center or low-end first-line center, like a Derek Stepan or Nazem Kadri type.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He, he's really impressed me. With the Coyotes in general, as I said, systemically, they're, they're nice. Like they get to the right areas of the ice. They don't have game breakers, though. That, that's the thing. And it's such a huge contrast coming from watching a Leafs game, especially a Leafs-Capitals game where, I mean, the Capitals have a million players who can break open a game of their own. Um, but coming from a, a Leafs-Caps game to a Sabres-Coyotes game, like it, it, the Coyotes just don't have that much high-end talent. They have Clayton Keller, who is great, but I don't think he's going to be a superstar. They have Derek Stepan, who is a, probably like the 30th best center in the league or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Alexey Alteniuk's injured. Um, they have Strom who's nice, but again, his, as bullish as I am on him, I don't think he's going to be anything more than maybe the 20th best center in the league. And that's like optimistic. They just don't have that much high end talent and they can't really, they make every goalie look really good. Mm -hmm. Even when they get to good areas of ice, they don't necessarily finish. Right. So obviously they're not going to continue to shoot 0% at five on five for the rest of the year. That will regress positively for them. Mm -hmm. but. They're going to be a team that I think looks really good in shot-chair, um, but it just doesn't get the goals because they don't have that much finishing talent.
2: Yeah, uh, which was kind of the fate of the Leafs in the tank year. Yeah. Where they yeah, they were quite a good shot share team, and yet nothing was there. And if you look at the lineup, you can figure out pretty quickly <laughs> in some of those games where it was like Nazem Kadri, and then no one who is still in the NHL. The
1: yeah, it, it was really bad. And I mean... You can see the same thing with the Coyotes, right? Like, Richard Ponix on their first unit power play. Ponick's a fine player. He's an NHLer, but if he's on your first unit power play, it's probably a sign that you don't have that much talent.
2: Yeah, that's, uh, that's not great, Bob.
1: Yeah. On the Sabre side, I really just don't buy that team at all.
2: No. Like, I, re- like I, re- I just refuse. I don't, you can't make as, me respect them, as and good I
1: do As good as the Coyotes have been from a shot share perspective, you should not be getting dummied by them. No. And, and the Sabres were for large stretches of the game. They won 3-0. But, you know, it, it, I just don't buy their five-on-five thing. I think they really miss O'Reilly. Casey Middlestat has been really invisible to me. I, I literally only noticed him when they panned to him on the bench, and I saw his tiny head. Or his tiny face. His face is way too small for his head, it bothers Okay.
2: That's a, a thing, though. And, like, I don't want to be mean. I think that this is mean to say. But at the same time, it's so notable. He does not have enough facial features for the square footage of his face. Yes. It's, it's and bewildering. I
1: think, do you know what? The the helmet also exaggerates it because it makes your it head seem bigger.
2: I know. Right? But like, he really um, needs to grow out his hair. And I yes. think grow some really long bangs. And maybe that'll help a little bit. Yes. But... Uh,
1: and, he, look, he's a good prospect. I expect him to be good eventually. But they're kind of throwing him in to the deep end right and i think o'reilly actually would have been a really good player to help kind of cushion him into the nhl except they they traded o'reilly for some reason um (laughs) which we we, which we've discussed before
2: yeah that that was a stupid trade that trade was dumb and bad
1: yeah so the sabers i i just don't i don't think they're going to be good this year
0: right i I think
2: i think the
1: the end there are a lot like the Leafs in, in some respects in that they do have a lot of game-breaking talent. Like Eichel, Skinner, Sam Reinhardt, Dalin mm-hmm. are all, and uh, Ospozo as well, are all really, really um, talented players who can make plays that just turn the game on its head at any given moment. And that will lead them to some wins. But I don't see them being that close to a playoff team this year. I think they're going to just be kind of a respectable, forgettable bad team, which is probably fine for the Sabres, to be honest. Like, I think That's a big fans, step forward. Yeah, is it is a legitimately a big step forward. And then I think next year is kind of the realistic, okay, let's shoot for the playoffs here.
2: The thing that I think, and I'm not comfortable saying this, I'm not happy about it. But is there a point at which we start having to consider the possibility that the Canadians aren't going to suck this year? Yeah, um... <laughs> I don't want this, but let me lay it out here. One, the Canadians look better against us than any other team that we've played, which is just something to note. Two, right now they're a 56% shot share team. It's mm-hmm. the crazy early days of the season. There are a lot of teams that have unnaturally high shot share numbers, and so I expect some of these are going to come back to earth. If they sustain anything close to that, they're going to be probably pretty good. Um, granted, they don't have the finishing talent, but also Carey Price has looked okay. He's looked a lot more like old Carey Price than last year Carey Price, where he was just like a hopeless failure machine. Uh, he hasn't been dominant, but he's been, you know, more respectable. Yeah. so I
1: can definitely see the Canadians being uh, e- even as high as kind of a, a bubble team, right? Yeah. They, they just need a bit of shooting luck to go their way, in my opinion. Like, they... they as you said, they don't really have a lot of finishing talent and they don't really have a lot of players who shoot from phenomenal parts of the ice mm-hmm. in a high volume way the way the Leafs do. But, like, they're annoying to play against for sure. They're really, really annoying to play against. They're fast, they're young. Julien has uh, seemingly gotten them to buy into his system. Yeah. Right? He's seemingly gotten them to play fearlessly, which is good for them. I mean, in a sense, it's not because they're going to probably put themselves out of the picture for a really high draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kanyemi looks like he's going to be a stud, right? I so, know.
2: I, honestly, even at the time, some people were like, oh, is it a bit of a reach for Kanyemi?" And I was thinking, damn, I wish they'd pick someone I didn't like. Because I, yeah, I liked he, him a lot reading about in the build-up to the draft, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. he looks like he's good. Yeah, So
1: he really looks good. And Actually, I'm looking at the Kadian shot plot right now. They actually don't, their shot plot isn't bad, in the sense that they are getting a lot of shots in tight. It's early in the season, though, so, you know, you can never take too much away from these sorts of things in small samples. But I think at the worst, the Canadians are going to be a super annoying team to play against. And I expect them to win a game or two against the Leafs. Like, I don't think we're going to sweep them like we did last year.
2: No, they're going to be frustrating. Uh, I think in somewhat happier news, Ottawa has overachieved a little bit in the early going. And I'd like to assure our listeners that that's probably not real. I don't think that that's a thing. I just don't... Yeah. I mean, they get blasted on the shot clock. They're not that good. I mean, they okay, blew can... out the Kings, and I've probably jinxed us into losing to the Kings tomorrow night, but, like, yeah, I just don't believe in that. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, me neither. I mean, I, I can see them, again, being a frisky team that is kind of annoying
2: to play yeah, against. Yeah.
1: They do have legitimately good players, and, you, you know, I can see... I can see how teams slipped up against them, uh, and, you know, on any given day, shooting and goaltending can make any team beat any team. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think broadly they are kind of where we expect them to be. Yeah. So.
2: But they, they might actually kind of take themselves out of lottery hell, which they're the only team who, you know, definitely wants to avoid uh, getting a high draft pick this year, obviously, because they have to give it to Colorado. So. Yeah. That might be sort of a salve for them if they can finish with, like, 75, 80 points, and, you know, the picket they give up ends up being, like, sixths or something, then that'll probably be a little encouraging for the, the good yeah, people. Yeah, and it'll, it'll,
1: it'll justify them taking Kachuk over keeping the draft pick, right? I, yeah. I, in, or at least in some sense. I think I would still have suggested they give up Kachuk and take the draft pick, and because then, then you can actually commit to a tank.
2: Yeah. Right, then, but now you know, they're kind just traded Deshane, trade Stones, trade whatever. Yeah,
1: now they're in this half in, half out type of thing where they're rebuilding, but they don't. They also want to be competitive this year, mm-hmm. and that's kind of at odds with one another. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're not. I don't think they're going to be an embarrassment. The way Colorado was in the forty eight point year, where like every team just dunks on them repeatedly.
2: Yeah, the Colorado year was. A confluence of a really, really bad team and also everything possible going wrong. Yeah. Like to finish under 50 points in the modern NHL, you really have to, you either have to have no talent at all, or you have to be like really, really unlucky. Um, Yeah. Don't look now, but is Amira's Vegas starting to, (laughs) is it finally come for them regression a little bit?
1: I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, I'm not, does not I'm, I'm not saying anything. Uh, not Vegas made to me you. look too stupid last year. Um, yeah. going back to the Sens for a second, they're mm-hmm. they're not good by any means, no. but like, they and they are getting dummied on the shot clock, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, like they're at 42 percent right now, which is like very very bad, of course. No. Uh, but there are a few teams who are worse,
0: <laughs> like yeah. the
2: Ducks. So <laughs> again, the Ducks are just like, who cares anymore, man? Like they're just in their own universe. And then there's yeah. the Canucks who are, uh, the Elias Peterson show. Uh, they're
1: pretty much they're fun when Pedersen is on the ice, yeah. and like it's kind of fun when when Besser's on the ice, and, and then like really it. really boring in between.
2: Yeah, and then you, you know the Islanders, the Islanders are what they are. So like that's kind of your bottom, your bottom yeah. is in the coursey. But yeah,
1: so I mean the Senators, they're they're gonna play hard. Mm-hmm. I think uh they have some self respect.
2: Yeah, and they have some kids, and playing the kids is. Aside from being, I think, a decent PR move, because it gives people someone something to show up and watch, uh, you know, some of these kids want to prove themselves. So they get guys yeah, like uh, Formington and uh, uh, Tom Chabot has actually been impressive, I think. So, oh, very much so. So, yeah, you, you know, they might be okay, and they might end the season feeling a little better about themselves than they did at the start of it, which, to be honest, there was nowhere to go but up, but...
1: Yeah before we before we go um mm-hmm. we should talk a bit about edmonton because we talked a lot about how Connor mcdavid is the best player in the world and he is yeah and what is amazing is that edmonton is as bad as they are with Connor mcdavid
2: oh god yeah like, okay I, they have five honest... goals this year Connor mcdavid scored or assisted on all of them that's it <laughs> it's
1: ridiculous it really is um he is amazing and You know, in the wake of those Ferraro comments about Mm -hmm. Matthews and McDavid, a lot of Oilers fans got kind of salty about that, Yeah. Um, which I sort of get, but like, look, no Leafs fans think, no reasonable Leaf fan thinks that Matthews is better than McDavid, but Mm -hmm. the Leafs are a far better team than the Oilers, and that's what I'm happy about.
2: Oh god, yeah. Honestly, this may seem weird, but I don't actually wish ill on the Oilers in any kind of global sense. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like the Habs where every time something goes wrong for the Habs, it's just inherently to my joy. Yeah, With the Oilers, it's more like, I really resent the attitude they took to team building and the mm-hmm. fact that, like, all of their sports reporters carried water for it time in, time out. Like, the Hall trade, the Eberly trade, and, like, not it wasn't just that they would trade these guys in very stupid decisions. But they would knife them on the way out of town. They would be like, these guys can't lead. These guys have no heart. These guys have no character. And of course, when Taylor Hall got out of uh, the Edmonton hellscape, uh, suddenly he turned into a heart trophy player, uh, probably because he wasn't getting the emotional shit kicked out of him for two nights.
1: You know what's interesting to me? I I find it weird how so many media members, and I think fans as well, kind of informed by these, are like, oh yeah, well, Hall got much better after leaving New Jersey. It's like Hall was always really, really good.
2: He was unbelievably good. He was good.
1: amazing at Edmonton. Yeah. And like, I remember seeing the stat that, like, basically with Hall on the ice over his Oilers career or something like that, like the Oilers were like a 52% goals for our team. So they were yeah. above water when Hall was on the ice at 5 and 5. And without him, they were like a 41% goals for our team, which is one of the really, really, really bad, of course. Yeah. Um, Hall was always really good. It's not like he suddenly got better when he got to New Jersey. He just had a better environment, and he was no longer on a team that was ass.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. The same and, and sort same, of thing happened with Justin Schultz, who was yeah. like, by no means was he going to be a franchise savior or anything, and he's not that. But he was like the number one defenseman, for whatever that's worth, on a cup-winning team. It's like, again, this environment that they've built where there's such a relentless thirst for someone to save the franchise and then they knife them when they fail i actually saw an article today that said it might make sense sooner than anyone wants to admit to trade Connor mcdavid oh my and God. i was if they, like
1: if they do that for the franchise like
2: absolutely
1: that that's unconscionable
2: it's like you have the best player of this century probably I suspect he's going to end up taking the crown from Crosby, although that's still an open question.
1: I know. I, I think it will, and it won't even be that close. I think McDavid is so good.
2: He's he's just an, an unbelievable talent. But it's like, why don't you build around him, maybe a little bit? I don't know, the, man. Like
1: it's just the crazy thing is they're capped out right now.
2: Yeah, but you know, at least they've got Milan Lucic. So good job, everyone. Uh,
1: it's it's ridiculous. T. has made, like, five fireable offenses.
2: I know. Like, it, 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 just it, in
1: terms of his on-ice, like, the acquisitions he's made, it's been brutal. They've, you have the best player in the world. You had him for three years when he was making peanuts, mm-hmm. made the playoffs once. Okay, one year he got injured. But, like, last year you have Carter McDavid making 925 k Come on, like, build a better team.
2: Yeah, do something.
1: You're literally the only team that has managed to overpay an RFA. <laughs> Right? In the title. Who's a very good player, but probably not worth 8.5 mil, or at least not worth 8.5 mil in a world where every other uh, star RFA signs a below market or like a better deal.
2: Yeah. Like, I was talking about this uh, on Twitter with uh, Emma Joe Michelle, who's a uh, smart Twitter person. And she was like, who on this roster is on a good deal, like right now? Like, maybe pulia yarvi or yamamoto on the elcs but like you know nugent hopkins is probably making about what he's worth Lucic is overpaid Mm -hmm. dracidal is overpaid uh mcdavid it's almost impossible to overpay him but he is but so like he's the exception but like you're paying chris russell four million dollars a year and like there are so many of these decisions that were made again and again with sort of a middle finger up to the analytics guys because screw them, they don't know what they're talking about. And they've taken the greatest gift imaginable for a franchise and then just run that franchise right into the fucking ground. And it's yeah. been kind of mind-boggling. Like, I'm actually kind of morally outraged like, at how they've been wasting McDavid. And McDavid is so good, they might still make the playoffs. Oh, for like,
1: sure. Like he, you, McDavid can drag a team to the playoffs. And look, we're not, we shouldn't write the death sentence for them. They're, they're one and two. Mm-hmm. It's not really that bad. But the extent to which they rely on McDavid, the extent to which they lack secondary scoring, like all the flaws that we thought were there are mm-hmm. still there. And it's just, it's ridiculous that you have someone who is so clearly the best player in the world. I mean, you can put McDavid with anyone and you have at least an above average first line. Oh, yeah. Right. You put him with someone decent. You probably have a first line that blows up most teams out of the water.
0: Yeah.
2: Like, even now, the McDavid line is doing fine.
1: Yeah, it's doing amazing. Uh, it's contributed it's just, to five goals in three games. That's good.
2: No one else is doing anything. And it's just kind of mind-boggling to me. So, really, I want them to suck, mostly because I want Peter Chiarelli to be fired. Just because I want there to be some sort of victory against that conception of team building where you just run guys out of town at a loss and you acquire grit and you're constantly kind of foolish in terms of uh you know what you pay these mid-level players it just (laughs) it just bothers me that a team like this exists and i'm kind of worried that it would be validated just because Connor mcdavid is so good Mm -hmm. that he could make it look okay and so the fact that you know, they're as bad as they are despite him really means that everyone involved in that organization should be unemployed. So,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a fun note to end the podcast on. Uh, do you have anything to plug this week?
2: Uh, I do not once again, so I better write something soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Same as it ever was, right?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you can find all of mine and Fuleman's stuff at pensiontanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ARVI and at ATFuleman. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.